Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Lord, speak to me. Let me not be distracted today. I want to hear the word. I just want you to say that for a second. I want to hear your word. Do you believe that? I want to hear your word for me. I ask that you would anoint your word. I ask that you would anoint the preaching of your word, Lord God, because I cannot give anything to the people, Lord. So I ask, Lord God, that you would anoint me not with persuasive languages, Lord God, but with the spirit and power, the demonstration of spirit and power. Let the word bring conviction where it needs conviction. Let it bring healing where it needs healing. Your sword is a surgery, is a surgery to some that need healing and to some that need strengthening, Lord. Whatever it is in our body today that your word can be able to release. And Lord, we even send the word of healing, Lord God, to, to Micah Jr. that he is in the hospital, that he will complete his healing. We send the word of healing also, Lord God, to the Brook family of comfort, Lord God. And all those who are ailing today, let your word release hope in their heart. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Okay, let's dive in. Praise the Lord. And I always do a review. Now, good for you. I'm not going to do a review of the first three weeks. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to do a review of last week because I believe it's so important, especially the sporadicness, if that's a word, of people coming in and out of church. We don't even know sometimes where we left off. So what my prayer for you is that you won't allow the, this seed to fall on the wayside. The wayside, remember there's four grounds. The wayside are the people that hear the word and immediately forget it as soon as they leave the church. I mean, immediately. Let, let it fall on good ground. Now, Psalm 23, we've been talking about Jesus is the good shepherd. But we started in John chapter 10. That's how we got the title. Because in Psalm 23, he doesn't necessarily say he's my good shepherd. He says he's my shepherd. But we could imply that David knew he was a good shepherd. And I realized that David is now switching roles because for years he was the shepherd. He knew exactly. He was trained in the ways of shepherding. And then he attributed the care of the sheep and sometimes the dumbness and stupidity of the sheep in leading the sheep to his own walk with God. How many know we could be dumb in our walk with God sometimes? And now he switches role and he goes, God is my shepherd. And then uh, he, here's the revelation that I haven't even told you the last three, three weeks. Everything that you, almost everything that you see in Psalm 23 is symbolic relatively or symbolically or literally about a real sheep, his experiences. And he just transferring roles because we are the sheep of his pasture. Amen. And so last week we talked about verse 4. Now verse 4 was uh, I, during worship I had a prophecy. I, and I don't have that. And I wrote it down. And I'm going to tell you at the end what I felt like for RCC. It had to do with this transitioning from one verse to the next. I heard the Lord loud and clear. Glory to God. Anyways, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But there's towards the end, I'm going to release that prophetic word over you. It's, you, it's not usual that I have a prophetic word for the whole church. But I, I felt it so strong that I pulled my phone out and I began to speak this word. But last week, we talked about the reason why he's a good shepherd, church. Ready? And you can talk back to me. You can say amen. By, by the way, get your Bibles out. Get your iPad out. Whatever you use your Bible with. Right? Last week, we, we heard that the reason why God is good and he's a good shepherd. Always remember that shepherding has to do with leading. He's the perfect leader. Yes? Yes? Because shepherd's main role is to lead sheep. 
Now, he leads us into different aspects according to his will. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. But if we trust the perfect leader that is a good shepherd, even though it's difficult, he's leading us into something that is according to his will so we could grow. And last week, we realized that the phrase, even though, everybody say even though. Remember, he said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we paused last week and harped on even though, because even though the reason why we shouted in that is because even though it's a transitional phrase that that should make us happy. It means that even though I've been diagnosed with sickness, the outcome was different. Even though uh, they told me I would never make it, I came victorious. Even though they said she will never make Hollywood, God, Gabby got Hollywood, right? Even though it's a transitional phase, which means that what we're going through, David know what he was going through was temporary. He didn't say, I'm stuck in the valley, come on, of the shadow of death. He said, even though. And we, we realize that even though has synonyms of nevertheless. Remember that? Nevertheless was when they, he said, okay, there's no fish, but nevertheless, at your word. And there's a nevertheless coming to people who, was in, who were in the valley. Now, I, I got a lot of text messages from the next one of last week, which we, we discussed that the valley of the shadow of death represents the season of the testing of our faith. Remember, God does not tempt you, but he will test your faith. And the, way he, the reason why he tests you, please listen to me, this is review, is so that we could have Christ-likeness developed in us and we could have maturity developed in us. Can we, amen? And there's three. If you remember, I got text messages like, uh, which, which one am I? There's three areas that God brings testing of our faith to produce greater fruit. fruit. Two of them are always the Lord and never the devil. One of them sometimes is the enemy, but the Lord uses that, right? What, what was it? How does he test our faith in the valley? Three main ways, right? That God tests our faith, not tempts us, tests so we could grow through trials, trials and tribulations. Sometimes that is from the enemy, but the, the enemy, but the Lord uses trials and that's the difficult things that we go through. If we stand strong, we develop a greater grace. John said that. Whatever we go through and we still stand strong, God will develop a greater grace and even a greater anointing for what you go through. The second way he tests our faith in the valley, if you remember, watch this, is God's discipline for our lives. What is God's discipline? God's discipline is his his actions towards us when our actions are not pleasing to the Lord. Some say, well, God will never discipline us. What Bible are you reading? It is his goodness as a shepherd that he disciplines you. He would not be a good shepherd if he leads you to do macriao or whatever. Uh, if, he, if, he, if, he, if he lets you, how do you say macriao in Spanish? I mean English. If, you, if, he, if, he just, if he lets you do whatever you want, that's not a good shepherd. The fact that he's a good shepherd is that he disciplines you. Disciplining is a result of things that are needed in your life because some areas are not pleasing to the Lord. So in his love, he will discipline his sheep so they could get right with him. And you know, in, in Hebrews 11 and 12, it says God's discipline is always good. Remember, we, we read that in the new NLT, and I'm like, wow, I missed that all these years. It's not sometimes good. It says it, God's discipline is always good. Now, it don't always feel good. I mean, when you were little, you didn't bend over like, Mom, that was great smacking. Can you do the other side? That was, that was awesome. No, but it gets us in shape. And can I be honest with you? You know what God's correction does? Weeds out the rebellion in you. 
It will, it will, it will make you humble. Glory to God. And the third, and then I'm going to go, the third way that God tests us is pruning. And that's the cutting away and the stripping away of things that used to be in your life for your good that God no longer deems good in this season of your life. And remember, in John chapter 15, we talked about only the people that are bearing fruit get pruned. So if you're getting pruned in the valley and you're feeling stripped away from certain friends that at one time or things that one time used to get you to the mountaintop, it's not maybe because they're evil. It's because they no longer needed or that thing is no longer needed for your growth. But it doesn't feel good. But all three of those things are part of his shepherding. Trials. Don't resist trials. That's what gets you strong. God's discipline, some of you are in God's discipline, but it's okay, or his pruning, all right? And this is why we, we that was all in one, in verse, in verse uh, four. Now we're going to go into verse five, and we're going to dive into verse five, and you're going to see the multi-aspects of God's nature towards us in a few phrases in verse five that make him the good shepherd. Can I hear an amen? Look at verse, look at verse, uh, let's, let's look at... Um, Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. Now, I mean, I even go to 6, but Lord, help me with this. Come on, say amen. All right. Now, you've read this a million times, but for the sake of revelation and for the sake of what God wants to speak to you, ask the Lord, how are you applying this to my life? Because I'm going to break these things down. I've never done a series like this, okay? This is part four. Let's read it together. Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. This is in the ESV. This is after the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, okay? For you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Now, the next, the last final verses is this. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I want you to listen to this very carefully because I'm going to make a confession here. For many years, I, the body of Christ has gotten this phrase wrong. And we've used this phrase we, it's okay to use it in the way we've done it, but not in the context that it's really in. It says, you anoint my head with oil. Now, I want you to pause and think about how we always translate that. Even me. How do I always translate that? We translate that with power, right? Which we could use that with power because the anointing is symbolic. Uh, of the, the oil is symbolic of the anointing, right? But I, I want you to look at this from an, a different viewpoint. My cup overflows and I love the there's certain times where I love the old King James because it just makes it makes me feel like <laughs> the King James says my cup runneth over right <laughs> my, my cup runneth over now watch this surely goodness and mercy this is David after all his battles after all those people trying to kill him out of after all the slip-ups and mess-ups and mistakes he says about the Lord, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mm. So prophetically and symbolically, these verses point to how well the Lord leads us and supplies for us in Jesus' name. Come on, amen? So I want you to see the first point, and then we're going to dive into this, all right? In Psalms 23, 
verse 5 and 6. Look at this. King David reveals the multifaceted nature of God towards those that put their trust in the Lord. I love this. It also shows the good and perfect leadership of how the Lord leads us. He leads us in his perfect leadership. And it starts in verse 5. Now, I know that this is part 4, but his leadership and his, and his protection and his zeal is really shown for his people. And that's why God, David said that God is his shepherd and he's a good shepherd. Because in verse 5, prophetically, symbolically, and literally, he is inviting us to fellowship and closeness with God. In other words, why is God our good shepherd? Why is the Lord our good shepherd? Because even though he's God almighty and even though he's our savior, he invites us to intimacy and closeness with this almighty, all-knowing, ever-living God. Now, it's an invitation. Everybody say an invitation. You say, how do I, you get invitation from verse 5? Here is the secret that David wanted to get to everyone. Is that although he is mighty, there is a resilient, hot, always consistent invitation for us to meet with him intimately. You say, how do you know that? From the first little phrase where it says, he prepares a table. Oh, come on, somebody. For me, and, and, and listen, what, a lot of times, a lot of times when we eat the food, we don't necessarily just eat at a table. If you're in the American culture, you get your food, you go to your uh, couch or you go to your room, but there's no fellowship and intimacy there. Come on, Pastor George, preach. One of the main reasons for the invitation to the table is not just for you to eat food because you can eat food anywhere. The reason why he has a food on the table is so the people get together for conversation and listen, for closeness and for fellowship, the Lord is inviting us to the table of fellowship, the table of intimacy. The David said, I am, he is so good, he is so mighty, but he's so gentle at the same time that he's inviting me to sit with him on a table, to converse with him, to fellowship with him, because without him, I am nothing. I need more of the shepherd. I need to be close to the shepherd. The table, you could eat in a family and not be with family. Preach somebody. Come on. L listen, it defeats the whole purpose of the table. How many times have you gone to the restaurant? My wife and I have gone to the restaurant a lot. And we, me and my kids are there. And we have a rule, no phone zone, okay? When we go to the table, Mama Bear comes out and she says, uh, 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 uh. I'm like, no, no problem, no problem, no problem, no problem. <laughs> Right, And we're talking, and we're fellowshipping, and we're laughing, and sometimes we like the food, sometimes we don't. But can I be honest with you? I realized something that is really not about the food. Because we could eat anywhere and not fellowship. You could stand in a stool in a bar and eat, and it's okay. You'll get food, but you won't get closeness. You won't get... You know what the table is? It's an invitation to intimacy. Because we'll be going out and we're turned around to the right and we see all four people in the next ta table completely silent going like this. And I'm thinking, what a waste. What a waste. Or oh, you say, well, it's not a waste because I had good food. The purpose of going out together is not just to taste good food because you could order DoorDash and eat good food. 
The purpose of the table is to talk. That's why God created the table. To talk, to conversate, to fellowship. God forbid that you talk to somebody in your family and put all the noise down. God says, I want you to put your noise down. And David said, I realized when my mind was going crazy and I'm trying to do everything and I can't find my way, God prepares a table so that I can have intimacy and closeness with my shepherd. Above all, the Lord does not desire that we only are obedient to his work. That's not what he's desiring. But first and foremost, seeking an intimate relationship with his people. Dining at the table is always literally and symbolically, okay, a place where fellowship and closeness takes place. When I say literally, I mean literally, not just prophetically and symbolically. Dining at the table. You know what I love the most about dining at the table with my family and with friends is the conversation. It's really, I mean, the food is kind of an extra plus. That's what God is trying to do. God, David said, you know why he's a good shepherd? Because he's not only a mighty warrior. He's not only the one who slays these things for me. He's inviting me to intimacy and closeness with him. What other God does that? Allah doesn't do that. Muhammad doesn't do that. Hare Krishna doesn't do that. Buddha doesn't do that. It's all service, service, service. Duty, duty, duty. And maybe you just get to heaven if you do it just right or it works. God says, no, I don't want that. I want you. I want you at my table. David found a secret. He goes, he invites me to his table. Not just to fight for him. Not just to sling rocks for him. David, God says, David, I love what you're doing, son. I love that you killed Goliath. By the way, it was me that guided that rock and put it on his forehead. But I have a table for you. I want you to come. Do what? Just talk to me. Just just talk to me. We have lost the art of talking to God. We have lost the art of saying, Lord, here I am. I love you. I'm here. Talk to me. I need you. Not what can I do for you? How can I pay my bills? Lord, I pray that you would give me a breakthrough. No, it's Lord, I just want you. And you know what? In his love, he will woo you to the table when you are about to be burned out. The table is always a place of refreshing. Not of work. Not of duties. Always about relationship. I said always about relationship. Let's, let's look a little deeper of God's heart in this area, all right, in other scriptures. Can, I hear, can you hear man? Amen? Amen? If anything, I want you to know if he prepares a table for you, it's not so that you could say that you're doing great works for him. Do you know that when he wants to meet with you, he's not going to talk to you that much about uh, all the works that you're doing? He's going to try to heal your soul. He's going to try to tell you, I love you. I'm here for you. My presence is here. Don't worry. I'm present. I'm I'm an ever-present help in a time of trouble, son, daughter. I'm right here with you. I will never leave you. Let me show you my presence. Let me show you my anointing. Let me show you my glory. Let me give you some peace. Not, Not, hey, listen now. Here's a list of things I want you to do for me. I want you to go preach real good. I want you to study for five hours. And I want you to make sure you text all your leaders to do the same thing. He's not going to do that when I'm at the table. He's going to be with me. But here's the thing. He wants you to be with him. Undistracted devotion is what he wants at the table. 
Put your spiritual phones down when Jesus is inviting you at the table. Put your list of duties down when he's inviting you at the table. See, see you, you clap when we say the example of, of a family of four on their text, but we do that all the time when God invites us to his table. When we come to worship together, we, we, sometimes we're not present. Sometimes we are. When we're alone, are we present? Now look at this. Look at his heart here. John chapter 14. Are you getting something this morning? That's just the first phrase. Woo, boy, it's going to get real good. John chapter 14, I got wrecked by this. Jesus, look at his heart, okay? Look at the Lord's heart of, to, to just desire the table with us. Can I just pause for a second? The table is also an invitation to stand still from your busyness. He's like, he prepares a table for me. Why? Because you're so busy. I have to prepare a table so you could come eat with me. Look at, look at what John, Jesus said. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, I love this, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, my father and I, will come to him, listen to this, and make our home with him. What happens in the home? Making our home with him is including a sense of family. Do you see that? It's including a sense of closeness. It's including and eventually coming to the table. To do things with him, not just for him. We have a law. It's an unwritten law in my house. Boy, there's any, if there's any stare that will kill you for my wife, and my kids could tell you, when we eat food at the house, not even at a restaurant, at the house, we do not. Now, now, now I want to, you know, disclaimer. Those of you who do that, you're not insane. If you, if you get your food and go to the, your room or couch, that's you. But we have a tradition in our house, listen, that God forbid when we eat to, at the table, we actually talk to each other. And literally, it's a, it's a dinner is ready, and I'm going to be doing something. And when the second dinner is ready, I'm like, okay, let me, let me you know. When, when my wife says dinner is ready, everybody stops what they're doing in their rooms, in the couch, in the study. And we all go to the table, and for, for maybe a half hour, we talk to each other while we eat. We fellowship, right? And, and, and his desire is coming in our home with us. Come on. Because the Lord's intimacy in knowing him is greater than what he do, we do for him. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 7. Very, now, now this, this next verse also shows the zeal of God wanting us to be at the table with him. But it doesn't look like that. It looks almost like a big rebuke. But I want you to see why there is a big zeal. In the heart of the Lord for his people. Matthew 7, one of the most popular scriptures, verse uh, 21 through, I believe, 23. Look it up in the screen up there. Not everyone who says to me, now listen to this. Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Okay, keep going. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Now watch this. Cast out demons in your name. And done many wonders in your name. Who is he talking to there? Who is he talking to? Is he talking to worldly people? He's talking to people that profess Jesus, right? Doing a lot of works. You even cast out demons. You did great things for me. Look at this. And I will declare to them, I want you to say this slowly. I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. 
Now, this verse, the scripture could go many ways, but I want to harp on the phrase, I never knew you. That word in the Greek is genosko. Now, I may not be jacking the pronunciation right, but I played that, that blue letter Bible thing like several times, and that's the best I can do. Genosko. Genosko. Here's what it means. Here's what that word knew in the Greek means. When God says, I never knew you. It's, never, it's not that he never knew you existed. It's not that he never knew what you did. Obviously, he knows everything. So what does he mean? It means a deep intimacy and knowledge of someone due to close proximity. Another definition of know means intimacy and closeness. That same word is the word know that, God, that Adam knew Eve. Through intimacy. Now, don't get it twisted. It's the intimacy that is described at the highest level of marriage. When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you, it means you may have professed me, but you never sat at the table with me long enough for me to know you and you to know me. And I want to say this in the fear of the Lord, that there's a lot of people in church that are well-meaning people, but you may not know the Lord. You may not know him deeply. You know that you've been brought up in the faith, and you know that your parents made you come to church. But do you know the Lord? Do you know him intimately? Do you spend time with him? Come on, say amen. That's the table that David is talking about, and he rejoiced. He goes, listen, he's preparing a table for me not to war. That comes out of coming out of the table. Yeah, let me just tell you that right now. That's a freebie for you. Listen, you want to go to war? You want to have might? You want to have strength? Spend time at the table, and you'll get home out of the table with power, strength, anointing, ability, and instruction for the Lord. We're so busy for our own good. Then we wonder why we have no oil. We have number why we have no fire. Baptize my heart with your fire. That's my prayer. I want a new fire. Come on, say amen. But you can't get fire unless you're close to the shepherd. Amen. Revelations 3. Revelations 3. A lot of people misquote this. And it could be used. It could be used in the way that people quote it. But I'm going to tell you what it's really meaning. Revelations 3 verse 20 says this. Now watch this. What did David say? He's good because he invites him to the table of intimacy and fellowship. Look at what Jesus said. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come him to him. I will come him to him. Now watch this phrase. Watch this phrase. And dine with him. And he with me. That means at the table. He's knocking. And he's not, this verse is not talking about those who don't know him. Although it can be used by, by Jesus knocking at the door for people that don't know him. He's talking to one of the church's believers that follow him. And know him. He's saying, hey, believers, not worldly people, believers, I'm calling you to more than just coming to church. I'm calling you more than just sitting in a service once a week. I'm calling you to not just read your Bible when the pastor opens it once a week. I'm calling you not to just say amen. When I'm calling you to the table. If anyone opens the door, listen, I will dine with him. Dining means fellowship at the table. When's the last time you dined with the Lord at the table? 
When's the last time? Come on, somebody. When is the last time he's desiring deep fellowship and communication between his people? And he always keeps the invitation open. I texted Joanne Gomez a, a, a song that, you know, sometimes God has to woo us to the table. Sometimes even though there's an invitation, there's a deep longing because he misses us at the table. You know, sometimes I get this picture of we wake up and Jesus sitting at the table. I can't wait for my son to come here today. Can't wait to talk to him. I can't wait for my daughter to come here. And we get dressed and ready and he's sitting at the table and, he, and no one sits with him. And so when I was in North Carolina, I, I was in a little getaway, but I wanted to, to meet with God. You know, there's sometimes you just have to get away just to meet with God. God, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm going to find you. I'm going to find you. And I'm going through my routine and getting up and reading scriptures. And all of a sudden I wake up. And this one time I wake up, I hear this song in my spirit. I'm talking about, I surely I had it in my phone because that was one of the songs we used to do back in Remnant Youth. I'm like, oh, I, and this song was burning in my heart. I'm talking about it was so loud. I woke up and I almost heard it out loud. I love, I love, I love your presence. I love, I love, I love you, Jesus, right? And it was strong. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. And it wasn't in my phone. It was never in my phone. I'm like, what? That was a song that I used to, listen, that I used to encounter God when I was a youth pastor leading these whippersnappers <laughs> to the Lord. And I would just play it in my connect group and I, and I would cry. And I'm like, I surely have that song here. Guys, I didn't have that song. I realized what God was trying to do. He was trying to get me to the table. Sometimes God invites you to the table by reminding you of a, of a time in your life when you were close to him. And, and, and so I'm like, so I downloaded it, and then the Bethel version came on, and I played it, and I was in my seat overlooking the lake, and it was still. And I just felt, I love, and I closed my eyes. <laughs> and the presence of God came on me. He's like, I'm here. Don't worry, I'm here. I just felt him envelop me, saying, you don't have to worry about a thing. Just enjoy my presence right now. And I just bawled like a baby, <laughs> cried like a baby. Because what I was realizing he was doing at that time, he's like, just stay. Don't be in a rush. When I went away, it forced me to recalibrate things. I couldn't go anywhere. It was a cabin with a lake. <laughs> and I just stared at that lake, that beautiful lake. I didn't have any errands, had no ministry responsibilities. And I kept rewinding it. And I love, I love. I love your presence. And I just got filled with the peace of God. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Filled with his love and for me. Because if we're honest, sometimes we skip meals with the Lord. We skip time at the table and God says, I want you back at the table. He's saying that to you right now. He's saying there's an invitation. You know why he's a good shepherd? Because he leads you to prepare a place for you in the presence of your enemy. Come on, someone say amen. amen. He prepares a table. The table is, is, is ready for you today. He's wanting you to come back to your first love. Jesus is a good shepherd because he prepares a table to connect with God and fellowship and intimacy. Can I just be honest with you? 
it's much more beneficial for us than it is for him. I know he loves it. But let me tell you, we need it much more. But he desires it much more. Amen. And so that's the first reason in verse 5 that David called the Lord a good shepherd because he's not just a distant God. He's a God that invites us to the table for fellowship. Actually, that's the main reason we're here is to have relationship with the Lord. Remember, I never knew you. That means intimacy. That means closeness, not just performing for him. Come on, say amen. Now here's going to get to, here's the second multifaceted nature of God towards us, found as a good shepherd for his people, found still in verse 5. And you know what it is? The Lord shepherds us by affirming us, watch this, and giving us justice, especially when there's been injustice in your life. Come on, somebody. You say, what? How did you get that? I'm going to tell you. The reason why God is a good shepherd, and David even calls him that, and we call him the shepherd of our souls, is because not only does he invite us to the table, he affirms us and he gives us justice when wrong things need to be right. Come on, say amen. Justice is making wrong things right, and he loves to affirm his people in their identity and in his love for you. You say, how do you get that phrase? How did you get that from Psalm chapter 5? Easy, because right after the invitation of the table, you know what he says? He says, he didn't invite me to a table only. He says, he invites me to intimacy at the table in the presence of my enemies. Whenever there's a pre- God does something publicly in the presence of the enemy is to affirm who he is in the life of that individual. Come on, say amen. When Jesus got baptized in the River Jordan, he did no works yet. He did not cast out any demons yet. He didn't do anything. I mean, if I was the Lord, I would say, look, I would give a resume for Jesus so that people could believe the voice that they just heard. I would say he walked on water. He, he cast out demons, 5,000 of them. He did all this and this, that. Hey, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Most people will say, well, that kind of resume, of course I believe him. But when Jesus came out of the waters, he had not done anything yet. And the Lord says, here is my beloved son, the father, who I am well pleased. Listen to him. What did he do? Nothing. He affirmed him publicly. I'm here to tell you. That the reason why God is good is because he's coming here to affirm you. I don't know who, who I'm speaking to you to and to give you justice in this season of things that you've been praying for to turn around. I'm telling you, God is a God of justice. He does not just sit silently forever. Maybe for a while, but not forever. Not forever. His zeal for you. That's why I was about to pick Enrique up. Because he's going to fight for you. He's going to fight for you, and not only is he going to fight for you, he's going to reveal his victory in you in the presence of your enemy. He's going to reveal his victory for the people that were gossiping about you and slandering you and said you would never deserve it. Not only is he going to give it to you, he's going to give it to you in front of the people that said, and the enemy that said you never get it. 
I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need to understand the zeal for, of God for you. He is zealous for you. He is after you. And let me tell you something. When he touches, when the enemy touches you, for a while he will allow it. But his zeal is to affirm you. If you need affirmation by Pastor George or some other leader, we will desperately fail you. And we will desperately make you uh, wonder if there is even goodness of God. Not because we're evil. It's because we're human. But if your identity and affirmation is if Pastor George or the leaders never acknowledge me if I never get a gift I know that he's saying well done my faithful servant hear him hear her my daughter my servant you are mine and I am yours he affirms us he affirms us he's zealous he look he calls you by name my God when he calls you by name, that's affirmation. I'm here to tell you, some, that's the, the, one of the five love languages is affirmation. Why? Because built in our hearts, built in our system by God is that we need to be affirmed. But what he's really wanting is affirmed by God, by the nature of God. When we are affirmed, especially publicly, and justice comes, righteous justice comes to the righteous, it's like we're like... You know, I said it before, it's like the S comes out, so the longo comes out, right? <laughs> the super mom, super dad, superman comes out of you. Why? Because he's fighting for you. He prepares a table for me. Listen, in the midst, in the presence of my enemies, that's affirmation and justice. Some of you are needing justice from some wrong things in some relationships. And God is about to give it to you if you keep coming to the table. In time, God's going to turn things around. Listen, it may not be how you want it to, but justice is coming. Let me just say this. Justice is coming to the nations. Justice is coming to our nation. Whether we like it or not, justice is coming to the people that have sown in tears shall reap in joy. That's what, that's what God says. He says, the righteous, listen, I hear the righteous. In their affliction, I will deliver them from them all. Okay, so either that is true or throw away the Bible. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them from them all. Isaiah 43 verse 1 says this. Look at this. Now, it's talking about uh, Israel, Jacob. But I, I want you to know that we obviously we don't replace Israel, but we are spiritual Israel. We're not, we're not replacing them, but we are God's people. Amen. But now, says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. Why? Why? Why, why, don't, why don't we fear? For I have redeemed you. Watch this. You want to get rid of fear? Know who you are in his affirmation. For I have called you by name. Watch this. Watch this. You are mine. <laughs> I have called you by name. You are mine. I am yours and you are mine. Let me tell you something. When you, when you get that kind of affirmation in your life that you don't need affirmation from people and you don't need to be affirmed by someone that you look up to, when you know that your affirmation from the Lord, you will do great things. Because listen, what happens when you get affirmed by God is that the opinions of people start sliding off of you. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare. When you are affirmed by God, not that you're rude, you just won't care what other people say about you when it comes to forming your identity. 
David, let me, let me say this. The Webster Dictionary defines affirmation. Listen to this. You can write this down. It's not going to be up there in your notes. Are you getting something this morning? Yes. So watch this. David, the Webster Dictionary defines affirmation as, quote, the nod of the head in an act of favor towards someone. It's a nodding of the head like, yes, yes, that one, that one, that one. All right? Towards someone, favor. To declare as final on behalf of someone, watch this, to validate. David felt God's favor and affirmation over his life when David didn't feel like he deserved it. Can I pause for a second? Have you ever experienced the favor and validation and affirmation of God when you didn't deserve it? Have you ever felt God's favor in your life? I've said this before, but like when the angel of the Lord came to Gideon, he was hiding from the Midianites and he was pressing the wine all the way. He was, he was threshing wheat in the wine press. Well, if you know anything about these farmers in the biblical times, you don't, you don't uh, do tares and wheats uh, in the bottom. You do it in the open so that the wind could blow the shaft away, right? He was... He was threshing wheat on the wine. He was doing the wheat on the wine floor, which is way down. Why? He was hiding from the Midianites. He was fearful. And in that state, the angel said, great and mighty man of God, you are a man of valor, Gideon. The Lord calls you a man of valor. I mean, if I was Gideon, I'd be like, I'm afraid. That's right. Because I don't see you like you see yourself. You're afraid, but you're a man of valor deep down inside. You may be insecure, but you're secure in me. You're strong in me. Listen, the affirmation of the Lord will not only strip away the opinions of people, it will cause you to be healed from some things that you have learned about yourself, thought about yourself all of your life. Some of you need to rebuke, rebuke your own thoughts over you. You're not this dirty, ugly, nasty thing that God detests. Just because you're sinful? No. God still calls you his son and his daughter. Glory to God. And that is also his justice. Part of his affirmation and justice is when the Lord gives us victory and blessing and favor, right? When we don't deserve it. I don't know about you, but I thank God for his affirmation when we don't deserve it. Come on, say amen. amen. Let me tell you this. The Lord sees all. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. Over your life. Now look at this next point. This is good. This is good stuff. I hope you guys are listening. <laughs> look at this point. The Lord is a good... I, 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 you know what? I'm doing good and I'm, I'm almost done. But the last point is fire. <laughs> the Lord is good. Read this with me. He's a good shepherd because eventually he will give justice to where there has been injustice in our lives. Now, now where, do, where, where do I get that? Where do I get that? All from he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. That's where I get the, the affirmation over your life and the justice. So without raising hands, justice doesn't mean only court cases. Justice for you doesn't mean only uh, wiping away your bills and debt. And No, no, no. It's making some wrong relationships right. He will fight for you. He will bring healing in time. And sometimes the way that God brings justice is for us to stay silent and let God do the justice. The Lord, it, remember what he told Jehoshaphat? There was a big army coming. You guys know this by heart. He says, stand still. You won't need to fight in this battle. Just sing and see the salvation of the Lord. If you have been wronged, 
do what the Bible says. Forgive, love them, do good to them. All that you have to do, right? And then you let God do the work. Don't try to prove who you are. Just live right and God will bring you justice. Remember the lady in Luke 18? Remember that? Some of you should, okay. Do you guys remember? <laughs> let, me, let me go to Enrique. Do you remember? Okay, thank you. <laughs> we got to bring the Bible lessons back up on uh, Mondays. Our people. Anyways. Luke 18, verse 1 through 8. You want to see God's justice for you? Do you? Yeah. Let me just say this. How many feel that you have injustice in your life that you're still waiting for some justice, whether hurt, whether offense, whether, whether you need some healing, and you're just waiting for that justice to come upon your life, right? Making wrong things right, okay? God sees that. Now watch this. Luke 18, verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. The problem is that we're trying to get justice when God is going to give us justice. He does it in front of the enemy. Hallelujah. He, get, he does it in front of the enemy. Look at this. Then he spoke a parable, Jesus, to them that, oh, listen, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Watch this, guys. If you're needing justice in an area or you're needing your name restored, I, I just hear that, Lord, right now. Some of your reputation, your name has been tarnished, and God is going to give you justice if you do the right thing and allow him and not fight back with anger. If you let him defend you, God will give you justice. That's why he's a good shepherd. There was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Listen, keep going. Now there was a widow in that city. This is, you guys need to be like this widow. And she came to him saying, get justice for me from, from my adversary, from my enemy. Some of you saying that in your prayer closet. And he would not for a while, this unrighteous judge, right? But afterwards he said within himself, I love this, though I do not fear God, nor our regard man, yet because this widow keeps coming to me and troubles me and keeps seeking after me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. <laughs> then the Lord says, watch this, hear what the unjust judge said. The unjust judge. Even he sees it. Look at this, look at this. And shall not God, who avenge his own elect, that's justice, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? What's, what's the answer? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? If you are standing firm on the word and you're not giving evil for evil and you've been gossip about or you've been slandered about or there's some injustice in your life that was not fair to you and you're continually loving and you're doing what the bible says there will day be a day coming where he's going to give justice to the people of god he's going to affirm the people of god if you stand righteous listen remember the book of colossians this is not even in my notes where the bible says he spoiled principalities and mocked them in front of them he spoiled them and made them a mockery a public spectacle he's going to give you the victory in front of the enemy that tormented you one day he will continue to affirm the people that stand strong having done all things to stand stand therefore be not weary in well doing for in due season here comes the justice you shall reap if you faint not 
Justice is coming to the righteous. You could take that. You could say, I don't believe it, but I'll take it for you. Justice is coming, but you can't backbite just like they're backbiting. You can't gossip just like they're gossiping. Don't think that you're going to get justice if you're acting just like the enemy. He's a good shepherd because David was saying, okay, I'm being slandered about. I'm being talked about. My men want to kill me. They're going to stone me because Ziklag was on fire. They're going to kill me. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And you know what he did? He loved on them. Even so, he could have kicked all of them out. If I was David, I'd be like, oh, you want, oh, you want to kill me now after all what I've done for you, right? All of you, you're fired. You're gone. You're out of me. Did you notice that he never let any one of them go? He loved them. Why? Because God fought for him. And guess what happened? He ran all his life away from Saul. Lots of years. Lots of years. One day. And I'm sure there's two times, as you know, David had a chance to kill him. And he never did. Why? Because he's bringing, allowing justice to be in the hands of God, not in the hands of man. If you try to do justice in your own way and you get mad and you start shaking your head just like that other person shake their head, you're never going to get healing. God is a God of justice. And he will reward those who are faithful to him. Come on, say amen. Say amen. Woo, Lord. And here's my last point. I can't believe this. I'm doing so good. But the last point is good. I saved the best for last for you. I get all this in verse 5. He prepares a table for me, intimacy, in the presence of my enemies, affirmation and justice. You know what the next thing he does? He anoints my head with oil. Now, I, I, need, you, I need you to listen to this because I got this wrong for many years, this one. Not necessarily wrong. It was, just, it was more prophetic and symbolic than literal. I want to tell you what this literally means. He anoints my head with oil. Do you understand when, 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 when David is saying that? In a moment, he's putting himself as the sheep because he's done it so many times, the sheep. And now he realizes the father is going to do what I do to me. Look at this. The Lord is the perfect shepherd. Look at this point. Because he leads us into, watch this. Here's, here's the, the new part for you. Divine protection from the enemy. I want you to say this with me. The Lord is a perfect shepherd because he leads us into divine protection from the enemy. Some of you say, yeah, but I've been getting attacked. You know what the Lord told me this morning? It would be much worse if you weren't saved. It will be much It will be what you're feeling now is endurable because you have the Holy Spirit. But let me tell you, if you did not, some of you could have been dead. I remember when I was in a, in a room uh, just three years ago and I was in a healing service and there was a guy who was super prophetic. Like he would call names out and addresses out. And I was there and I was just like in the back and one of my friends pushed me forward so he could pray for me. And the, before he could say anything, he turned to me. He goes, the devil has been trying to kill you. I'm like, thank you, Lord. What an encouraging word. He goes, the devil has been trying to kill you. I'm like, <laughs> and, the, and the Lord says, I see in the spirit that he tried to send these things to you to kill you. But because of the anointing oil on your life, 
you have been protected by the Lord. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. David says, you anoint my head with oil. What does that have to do with protection? Oh, I'm glad you said that. Because, yes, the anointing is symbolic of power. But, unfortunately, in the charismatic world, we always uh, tribute oil to the power of the Holy Spirit. To the ability, come on, to perform signs and wonders and miracles. But can I tell you, church, that that's not what David is talking about when he says he anoints my head with oil? Do you know he's not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit for him to walk and to him to preach? He's not talking about walking in miracles. All that is part of oil of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the ways that I have been protected from the arrows of the enemy. The many times that I should have died, the oil protected me from the enemy. Wait, wait, wait. You say, how is that possible? How is oil possible? Why is this a literal sense and a biblical sense protection? You know why? (laughs) Because in ancient biblical times and even modern shepherds, oh, I'm going to preach here for a second. You know what happens to the sheep at certain seasons of the year? There's these horrid flies that get in. Look it up for yourself. Look it up. There's these horrid flies, multitudes of them that are small, and they dig deep into the wool because they're so thick, and they seek a place to nest their eggs. Come on, somebody. And they, and they go to their nose. Look it up. And they go through their ears, and they try to go into their brain. And these larvae form worms that literally get in their nose and get in their ears and get in their brain, and they get crazy. Look it up. They get so desperate that they will ram their head against a tree or against a rock to try to get that thing out of their head. So you know why he's a good shepherd? It's not so that you could be anointed with power. You know what he's really saying? He, got, he says, he anoint my head with oil because with oil, it makes it impossible for the flies to come and attack you. It renders the flies useless to lay their eggs because they're so slippery. So the oil is not for power. It's for protection from the flies. And the devil is called Beelzebub, the Lord of the... The Lord of the flies. The protection comes from the oil on your life. That's why he cares for you. Not because you walk in power. Look at this picture. Put that picture up of the oil. Look at this. This is a real life picture. Oh, God. I want the worship team to come up here. I want the worship team to come up. I want you to stare at that. I want to read this quote. Keep that up there. These fly larvae forms into worms that try to bore themselves into the sheep's body, face, nose, and brain. And this causes the sheep to beat their heads against a rock in desperation trying to get rid of the eggs and flies oh my produced to torture the sheep do you know that you could take that that picture up look at me do you know what flies are symbolic of demonic realm he protects you 
from the demonic attacks that were meant to destroy you. Oh, you may feel them, but because the oil is on your head, they can't lay their eggs on you. They can't lay their, their, their offspring on you. Yeah, you may feel it about it, but it's not going to multiply in you. Why? Because if you trust in the Lord, he'll grab you by your head, and you may not like it, and he's going to go pour oil on you, not so that you can say, I'm walking on water, I'm going to be good. No, it's to protect you from the flies that have been assigned to you. God, give God a praise for the oil. Listen. And I heard and I read that that oil is warm and it brings a sense of peace to the mind of the sheep. It brings a sheep. You know why he's a good shepherd? Because he's after your peace and he's after your protection. He protects you with the oil. Now watch this. Do you know that the cup is when it says my cup overflows, <laughs> my cup runneth over, is not talking about the, the dripping of the anointing for more gifting. It is the portion assigned of his protection over your life. He says my cup, in other words, the cup of portion that the oil has, it's so big for me. God's protection is so big for me that that oil overflows because he's going to pour it not only on my head, he's going to pour it on my body and my arms and my back and my legs. It overflows. That's how God cares for me because my portion is not just for a season. He's a good shepherd because watch this. This is really good because he protects me even from me. Because we make some stupid decisions sometimes. And we yield to temptation at times. God said, it's okay, you still got that oil. And the fly should have got me, but it didn't. I made a mistake, but that oil is coming. The fly goes, oh, here he is. Darn it, I can't do it. He still got that oil on his head. That shepherd. Always trying to put oil on that sheep. I can't lay eggs anywhere. Come on, somebody. This is why he's a good shepherd. This is why he's the shepherd of our soul. That cup filled with oil is what the shepherd uses to pour oil on the head. So what King David was saying is, my cup runneth over. He's actually saying, this is my portion of God's protection over my life. His oil comes on my life so that the Beelzebub flies won't kill me. They may be a nuisance to me, but they won't get their identity on me. I'm not going to be driven crazy by the attacks of the enemy because he loves me so much. Watch this. Now, here, here's, we're, we're ready for the connection. You can't get that oil in the natural if the sheep is not close to the shepherd. The, sh- the shepherd can't throw a cup of oil if you're away from him or you're trying to run. He only comes when you're at the table. And when you're at the table, he conversates. He has a relationship. He desires communion. But then he goes, here's a little extra gift between me and you. We had a great time of talking. We had a great time of my presence. I love you so much. But before you leave, why don't you come over here? Yes, Master. Bow down just a little bit. I'm going to pour oil so that when you leave my presence... Know that there's protection over you. 
Know that the flies, son, daughter, are going to try to attack you. Know that there's people that are going to say a word for you, but let it slide off of you. Don't let it stick to you. Don't let those words shape your identity. Don't let those flies, they won't be able to. If you just allow me to pour this oil on you. Stay with me long enough so I could get a refill of this oil. And not only get your head, but get your neck and your body. Remember what Peter said when he got baptized? He goes, I shouldn't be baptized. I shouldn't be. I, I mean, I mean, I should, you shouldn't wash my hands and feet. You shouldn't, you shouldn't wash my feet. I'm dirty. He goes, if you don't do this, you have no part of me. You know what Peter said? That's the case. Get my body, get my head, get everything. You know what he's doing? Jesus, the good shepherd, was in, in prophetically pouring oil on the disciples. He was bowing down, and he was washing their feet. You know what he was doing? He was releasing that to them. A sign. He anoints our head with oil. It's much more. It's not much for power. Look at this last phrase. Or extra anointing. Woo, I feel the Lord. God anoints our head with oil. Everybody say, to protect us from the spiritual flies that are trying to torment us. Now this gives a new definition. Watch this. I heard the Lord say this. You know how I destroy the enemy in your lives? Not only by my power, but my, but by, but my protection, but by my protection. You say, how does God destroy the devil by his protection? I understand his power destroys the enemy. But how does his protection destroy the enemy? Because his protection frustrates the enemy and discombobulates the enemy from accomplishing his will. His protection over your life deems the flies impossible to lay their eggs. And that destroys the devil. That destroys him. Because he's unable to get you. When, when, we were, when I was little and I was arguing with a family member, I would always stay quiet. And you know why? Because I always won. I would never give them the satisfaction of getting back to me. You know what happens when God protects you? You may not even know that you're being protected. But some of you have been protected from a lot of things. You could have reaped the consequences of sin in your life. You could have had AIDS from fornication. Come on, somebody. Before, But you didn't. You could have been killed in that accident, but you're alive. You could have been, listen, you, you could have been talked about and, 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 and put up to display for something that you actually did. But God has mercy on you. I said, God had mercy on you. Listen, listen. I heard the Lord say this. This is the prophecy. I wrote it down. While I was worshiping the Lord, I heard the Lord say this real powerfully over RCC. He said, tell, the, tell Remnant Christian Center that they've been in, ch in chapter, uh, verse 4 of Psalm 23 for some years. They've been in the valley of the shadow of death. But I'm about to graduate RCC to verse 5 and 6. I'm about to invite them and prepare them a table to come to me at a greater extent. And I'm going to protect them. I'm going to pour my oil in them. And then your declaration will be, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. After you see God's protection, after you're with him in the table, after he protects you, you're going to say, surely the Lord is good. The Lord is great. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit Remnant Christian Center.
www.thinkandgrowthpodcast.com. 